All right, welcome back to All Bark No Dice, the Fundamentals Tabletop Talk Show. I'm here with Graham Barber, a writer, reviewer, and critic who really covers all kinds of tabletop games as well as D&D on his site, POC Gamer, as well as he's also the author of a few different RPG materials, um, several of which are system agnostic, as well as RPGs like Sojourner and Station Hunt. He's also, and the reason why we're going to be talking today for a good amount, is he's a contributor to Candlekeep Mysteries, which is a the D&D book coming out on March 16th with an adventure titled Book of Cylinders. So, thanks for coming on the show, Graham. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Um, looking forward to talking to you all about the Book of Cylinders and uh, anything else that comes up. Yeah. So, we definitely will be talking about that because I'm, um, I'm excited. I'm sure people are, people are excited to learn more about it um, as we're barreling towards the release date, which is rapidly approaching. Um, but before we get there, I want to talk sort of how we... how we got to that point and um, sort of the work you've done on the way there. And the, the starting point where I do with pretty much everybody I talk to, it's always interesting is how you got into tabletop role-playing games in general, D and D or otherwise. Um, it's a uh, little, little, little bit interesting actually. Um, Cause for a lot of people like Dungeons and Dragons is like their, their gateway into the entire thing. And, um, tends to be like a really big part of their like early gaming experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, um, AD and D uh, was the first game I ever played, mm-hmm. uh, but it was only one session, and it went horribly um, <laughs> because my friend and I wanted to play. We wanted to try it, um, yeah. and our friend whose dad owned the books, um, he, he was one of these people who already sort of like knew how the game worked and how you're supposed to do everything. And we had no idea. And so when we didn't play the game right, he was like, no, I'm not running another game for you guys. Uh, we'll, we'll just, you know, we'll go outside and play on the bike trail or something like that. <laughs> um, and this was in, I think that was like 1993, 1992 or 1993, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then a few months later, um, over to a different friend's place and his dad's friend <laughs> had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other strangeness. Um, which was a, a licensed uh, game by Palladium Books. Mm-hmm. And he had Ninjas and Super Spies and Heroes Unlimited and like all these games. And we got into those and like that was where it all just like took off from. Um, and so like we were heavy into Palladium and we like it, as, as the years went on, I realized how sort of different our trajectory in gaming was because like we never really settled on one game or one system. Yeah. Um, like we bounced around from game to game, from system to system. And uh, it wasn't until I was in like university uh, years later that D&D became even sort of a steady part of my uh, gaming uh, diet. And yeah, um, fast forward to now, um, I've played dozens of systems, dozens of games. Um, I've been a game master, been a, been a player. And yeah, uh, in 2013, I started doing critiquing, uh, cr- uh, critique work, and then um, that led into being involved in writing games, and that sort of brings us up to here. <laughs> you know, actually, it I'm I'm have to check that Ninja Turtles game out if I can find a copy because I, you're not actually the first person I've have talked to who had that was their gateway game. Uh, I don't know if you have ever met or talked to Crystal Frazier. 
or no, I have that. That was her. She also, if I remember correctly, that was her, one of her gateway games into tabletop. So I'm like, okay, there's at least two people who have played this. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so that that transition, uh, and it's again, it's funny. You're, I think the uh, everyone I've interviewed so far as part of this Candlekeep series, um, I think only one person didn't get into D and in, D in university. I think everybody else really got into it because they were in at college or university or, and they were able to be exposed to it. Just a fun trend. Um, but that transition you mentioned in 2013 to being a, a content creator, looking mm-hmm. at um, your sort of your website and kind of reading through sort of your story, as you've talked about getting into that, that, it seems like that came out of the transition from out of fourth edition. Yes. And I'm curious um, what was sort of what you mean, so what, sort of what happened there that was such an impetus going into fifth edition, such an impetus for you to really become a, become a critic and start writing down your thoughts. Well, um, my friends and I have been huge fans of third edition and 3.5. Um, we really enjoyed it. We enjoyed the games. We enjoyed creating our own worlds, playing in Forgotten Realms. Um, fourth edition had come out. Uh, we tried it. Like we, we gave it a legit try, and it just did not work work, work for us. Um, and we sort of let it fall by the wayside. Like uh, I think my buddy went back to playing like three point five. Um, I went on to play other games, um, and life carried on. And then they announced that fifth edition was coming out. And so we're like, okay, that's kind of interesting. And then they announced that the Forgotten Realms was going to be the base setting uh, for it, which is a, a huge change. And I was like, cool. Like, I, I love the, I like the Forgotten Realms. Uh, what's going on with this? So I decided to take a look at what had happened in fourth edition to the Forgotten Realms. And it was, it was bad. Um, <laughs> they, um, it was a, a time jump forward, which isn't an issue in and of itself, but a lot of the narrative and plot decisions and world development choices in it um, had huge negative impacts on the setting and mostly in the parts of the settings that weren't white. Yeah. Um, so like whole areas were blasted away. Um, all sorts of like, like a lot of bad plot lines and a lot of uh, like negative stereotypes were being used. Mm-hmm. Um and I was just like, what the, and just, there's a lot of swearing involved. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm finding this out at the same time that, uh, the Nebula Awards was having their first run in with the, uh, the puppies campaign, Oh yep, which was a, a reactionary, uh, reactionary, uh, group trying to influence, uh, the voting to make sure that you know, the, the diverse voices weren't heard. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just, I was like, no, this is it. This is too much. I, I need to start writing about this stuff. I need to stop being passive um, about it. Uh, because prior to that, I, I didn't really have much to do with the RPG scene. Like I, I played the games, like I'd go to the store, I'd buy them, uh, you know, order them off Amazon or whatever, play them with my friends. That was it. I didn't participate really in forums um, I did, I had no online presence at all. Uh, um, and yeah, that was just the tipping point because I was like, this is not good. And if this is where they're starting from going into fifth edition, this is going to be a problem. 
And I believe, again, I'm going off of sort of what I can, what I've, what I've been able to read about how you've, you, you've, you've had an interesting relationship with, with wizards since then. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, you know, you've, I think you've, you've been sort of consulting with them, I think for a little while. Um, and obviously you're now, now writing with now writing with them. Um, have, as of has your, has your view on D and D really has it, has it changed with the fifth edition and Forgotten Realms? So after this point of of, of rage and swearing, um, mm-hmm. has it changed much since then? And over the course of time, as you've as Wizards has tried to fix some of the issues that you and other critics have brought up, it's 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 changed a little bit. Um, so my 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 first. Uh interaction with wizards um came after the tomb of annihilation was released and i did a giant uh, ultimately i think it ended up being like a three or four part review uh, yeah. of it uh that was pretty scathing and uh which led to an interview with kotaku which led to being contacted by wizards uh, directly about what had been what i what i was writing um and would that in turn like the next year led to uh, a consulting uh, job for something that I still can't talk about, <laughs> which uh, irritates me to no end because uh, the guy I was working with was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Ari Levich, uh, it was outstanding. Um, and the ideas and concepts that we developed during that consultation phase were just, it, it was some of the most fun I'd had in years. Um, and I still can't talk about it. <laughs> uh, so hopefully one day that will move forwards. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, like I, I got to know some of the, uh, some more of the people that work there and, um, everything else of that. And so that, uh, that softened my stance a little bit, uh, towards things, but then there was the, uh, the blow up last summer. Um, and it's, uh, yeah. Um, since then it's sort of, uh, been a, a, a little bit more, um, tepid, I think is the best mm-hmm. way to, uh, to put it. Um, so it's, uh, they, they, they are making steps mm-hmm. now. Um, there are things that I, I think that they should have been doing earlier, um, because it's not rocket science. Yeah. Um, the stuff that they've been doing and, um, at, at, at the, at the point that I'm at right now, it's more of a case of, like, I want to see concrete movement, um, in, uh, in a permanent and canonical, like in permanent and canonical ways, to changing things as opposed to optional rules or um, like little incidentals, things like that. So, yeah, I could tell from your most recent blog post about the upcut, the Van Richten's guide to Ravenloft mm-hmm. that um, you definitely still had a lot of mixed feelings about, uh, about how things are going with them. Desp- I mean, despite the fact that they've, as far as, you know, they've, they've, they've tried a little bit, especially with the Ravenloft after the first Strahd release mm-hmm. and the revamped quote unquote um, changes. Um, yeah. I could tell there's still some, some mixed things there. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I know two of annihilation. That, 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 was a, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 no worries. No, you, you, you go. I was just thinking, uh, it, Tomb of, Tomb, I know Tomb of Annihilation, I remember, um, I wasn't quite as immersed in the meta side of it as I am now. Um, that was just before mm-hmm. I really got into being a writer about it. But 
Um, I know that that was a big sort of wake up for a lot of people um, who were not really aware of a lot of the questionable parts of, of, of Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons was that one and the way it handles a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was, um, yeah, that, that, that was a big, a big tip. Like I said, it was a big tipping point for me as well, because it was, uh, Chult was an underused part of the realms previously. And so mm-hmm. I was really initially excited to see like what they were going to do with it. And then when I saw it, I was just like, really? Like this was your best. <laughs> yeah. This is your best foot forward. eh? And, yeah. um, yeah, I, I, like I laid out in one of my, in the Van Richten's uh, Guide to Ravenloft uh, post there that it's, uh, you know, I think it's awesome. You know, they're bringing in, you know, uh, diverse creative teams and diverse uh, diverse writers. They're adding to things. Like there's like 30 realms into Ravenloft now, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's it's the follow-on. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things where it's, um, what's it, uh, you know, it's like uh, a- amateurs talk logi- amateurs talk tactics and professionals talk logistics. Yeah. You know, and like if you can't sustain something that you've done, then um, the va- its value uh, decreases. So that's why I was asking, like, you know, what's their plan going forward? So like, are they going to promote these areas? Are they going to develop them more? Are they going to do all this stuff? You know, or is it going to be put onto um, you know the writers or the fan base to develop in the um, in the uh, DMs guild. Yeah. You know, in which case now it's, you know, it's up to some poor person who has like a regular job, you know, <laughs> they're doing this on the side or something like that. And now they have to try to manage an entire, you know, PR campaign to develop interest in a new part of Ravenloft. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, all the areas that have, you know, all the old support and all the old, uh, old materials, you know, they can still benefit from all that stuff. Yeah. I think that there's an interesting. I think Candlekeep is 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 an interesting part with that relationship with mm. with with creators and because there's obviously a lot of there's a lot of mixers on people who have published um, several things on the DMs Guild. Other mm-hmm. people uh, like yourself or, or Sarah Madsen, who publishes through mostly through Kobold Press, haven't gone through the DMs Guild and. Um, as much um, and some people haven't written their DMs guild at all, but there's a, I think there's definitely a feeling that they're trying to create more rapport with the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, this is, it's a lot more disconnected and it's a bit more limited in the, just in the form they've chose rather than yeah, like what you, you know, what you sort of envision in that post as to sort of the proper way forward compared mm-hmm. to maybe how they're approaching Van Richten's guide as well. Um, yeah. Now, one thing I'm curious about, um, mm-hmm. because I I love this kind of disc- I love the discussion as a you know former grad student and mm-hmm. someone who's been interested in this subject for a while. It's it's the colonial aspects of D and D, which you which you've you've talked about, and uh, you know you. You know, do you still see you know you see D and D as a real as a very colonialist game? Um, I'm sorry, you got a bit garbled there. Do you um, see do you see D and D as a colonialist game? It it still is to a large degree, yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, it it comes out in the core books. It comes out through um, 
the language being used to describe um like the different peoples of the worlds and stuff like that um and in the settings um it's largely because um at least at the moment almost all the settings they have were made before um like 2000 um like like it's all stuff it's you know things being written by people who grew up with a very different view of uh expansionism colonialism and all that sort of stuff where it was generally seen as a net positive and they didn't see any issues around uh colonialist narratives being included in part of the game i mean like the guy who spearheaded the Mazda campaign setting uh saw conquistadors as the heroes mm. um and so all these settings are you know they get brought forwards and they bring all this baggage with them yeah uh, which which makes it challenging to um to address it because it's such a at this point baked in component of them um and so yeah it's uh, it, it continues to have uh, colonialist aspects and i think it probably will until um they either commit to changing the language um in like the core books about how they approach things and um if they decide to create a new world sort of like mm-hmm. whole, like a, a new general campaign setting to be their baseline yeah uh, because then they'd be able you know it's a fresh slate they can start start from scratch and uh, and develop it uh, from there instead of having to reconcile um you know uh ch- changes in society and changes in um in perceptions with trying to keep uh settings that are you know 20 30 40 years old mm-hmm. uh current yeah because it's kind of baked in just even the very core sort of idea behind D D the sort of the break into somewhere take out take every take all this all the stuff that's there and leave especially because a lot of the stuff your adventures are going into are ruins and old mm-hmm. stuff you know and so they're it's kind of it baked in i think some people have trouble with that because it it's got so many different uh it's affects so many different parts of the game that it's hard to i think yeah. people to quite wrap their head around how insidious those aspects are yeah absolutely and it's uh yeah it, it's it's a huge challenge and uh like there there are people that are trying to uh that are trying to challenge it um, at wizards and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's more pressure coming from outside. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where we'll, we'll see how it all develops and see how it all, uh, how it all goes. How, how could we, how could someone, whether they're a, someone who's trying to be a creator, you know, sort mm-hmm. of publish stuff, or just if there's someone who's maybe a DM uh, making their own game, you know, is there a way to create a decolonized D and D game? One of the easiest ways that I think of that, uh, like approaching that is to um, treat all the intelligent, like monster races as part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, like they're not a problem that needs to be solved. They're not, you know, occupying land that you need to seize to expand the human empire or whatever. Um, but like treat them as an integrated part of the world, like as a normal part of it. Um you know, so I mean, like, yeah, like there's an orc nation next door. Sometimes we fight, sometimes we don't. And, you know, like, look at how you might interact, look at how the cultures might uh, influence each other, all that sort of thing. Um, and just taking that one step, like radically changes um, yeah. a lot of things in, uh, in a, on a D&D type world. 
and uh, in a D and D type game, it opens the doors to a lot more uh, development and a lot more options for your players and for the stories you can tell. And at the same time, um, it also lets you get into um, more complex themes than you know the orc tribe over the hill is scary. We need to go fight them. Yeah. Um, you know, you can actually get into you know the actual sources of conflict. Uh, whether they be over resources, religion, um, you know, magic, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it just sort of, it, it opens a lot of doors and it's just, you know, it's a, one of those like one simple trick will change your game. <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah, and it, it is pretty easy, you know, and I think um, I definitely can do a little bit when it comes to your, your adventure. Um, but um a lot of fun with that adventure. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely want to talk a bit about that because I think it is it is does open things up. Um, but when it comes to so I, I guess we'll we can go ahead and get into talking about it. Um getting into contact with with, with with when wizards reached out and and you know what's it been like working with with them in an official capacity as a designer for an adventure? Or what was oh. it like? <laughs> I keep talking in the present um, tense, but I keep forgetting that it was like a year and a half ago for everybody. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was interesting. Um, the initial contact uh, was just an email and I was sort of like, oh, I'm not really sure. Like I don't, the email didn't really give me a solid um, gist of what they were looking for. And then when I attended uh, OrcaCon last year, um, it was uh I had a chance to go to the uh, to D and D headquarters there, uh, to mm-hmm. Wizards of the Coast, and um, Chris Perkins like took me aside and talked to me. He's like, "This is the idea. This is what we are, what we're looking for. Um, are you into this?" I was like, "Okay, now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm 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 into this. I can I can knock out an adventure for that. That sounds cool." So you know, I signed the signed all the paperwork and all that sort of stuff. Um, got them all my. Uh, information because I'm uh, I'm a, I'm Canadian, so you know there's some <laughs> there's some extra steps to get involved to get paid. Um, yeah. And uh, so I get all that information out to them, and then I re- we receive our package, and um, you know telling us you know like hey, these are the levels you're writing for, um, you know come up with uh, some ideas. So I came up with the idea for my adventure, sent it off. We're like, okay, uh, we like these parts. Uh, can you switch these parts of it because uh, we already have. A bunch of these other ones have already have you know have similar themes happening. I was like, oh okay, no problem. So I changed up a few things, um, and then the writing part began, and that was a little bit more challenging because a D and D adventure isn't how I write my own adventures. Yeah, um, like my adventures t- tend to be a little they're a little bit more bare, not a little bit more they're quite a bit more bare bones. Yeah, and um, and are more like a collection of like what ifs. Like, what if the party does this? Or what if the party does that? Yeah. Um, that sort of ends up being strung together to create the adventure. Um, and as I said in the um, that uh, that interview uh, question for, for Dragon there, like, you know, like, what do you do with adventures? Like, oh, usually I mine them for ideas. <laughs> like, I'll go on like, okay, like, I like this treasure. I like that monster. I'm just going to grab those and bring those over here. And uh, yeah, I forgot the rest of it. I'm just going to use this part. <laughs> So I had to first I had to wrap my head around actually writing like a D&D style adventure. Yeah. Um and then there was formatting it. 
And uh, there were some hiccups in the formatting process because uh, I thought I was like, I was like, man, like, this is hard to format. Like I'm trying to figure everything out in Word by myself, and I didn't realize that the uh, the format guide document we were sent was also had had everything already built into it. <laughs> so I had to like go back and I reformat it a few <laughs> times. I was just like, I, I felt so bad uh, for for Chris Perkins and the other guys. They must have been shaking their heads like, why can't this guy get it? And, like, it's, it's right there. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there. I was like, I don't get it. I don't understand. So I finally got it formatted upright. Um, you know, ma- I made the changes that were necessary. And you've actually got a leg up on me because I, um, I don't have the book yet. Um, oh, wow. So... I've got no idea like well if they used the map that I made for it or if they made a nicer one. I hope they made a nicer one. Um <laughs> or if uh, or like what art they used or anything. I've got no idea. Um all I know is that uh, could, because after I was finished writing and I'd edited the stuff out and added the things in they wanted and everything else of that. I submitted it and they're like, "Yep, your submission's been accepted." And then it was just radio silence. <laughs> I didn't hear anything for months. I was just like, "Did did it get like, is it in the book? Is it going to be, um, you know, is it going to be kept in reserve to be developed later? Uh, like what's going on? And I had no idea about anything until I got an email. Um, I think it was like just before Christmas or something like that. It was like November or something. I got an email like, huh, you know, like we've accepted your, your things going to be in the book. And I was like, oh, oh, geez. Like, oh, that's awesome. This is, this is good news. I had no idea. <laughs> I just had no idea where in the process anything went, anything was. Um, and uh, yeah, after that, it was, uh, they started, you know, like we weren't allowed to talk about it for a while. And then uh, like, yeah, okay. Like now you can talk about it a little bit and now you can, um, you know, it was sort of like an incremental, how much you could talk about your adventure. Um, mm-hmm. And now here we are. Um, so uh, I think the best thing that came out of it though, was uh, in terms of my writing was, uh, getting rid of the word will and a few other ones. Um, cause I was, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it was, a, it was a bad writing habit. I didn't know that I had, um, until they asked like, yeah, like word search this and see if the sentences still work. And I was like, okay, word search like, Oh, Oh yeah, that's useless. Okay. And I just like redid a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's what it was like. Um, and yeah, since then it's, um, there's been some, yeah, uh, some contact of course. Uh, they're getting ready to release things. Yeah, um, got to pick a library. Uh, they're gonna do a donation of D and D stuff too. Oh, that's awesome! So I, you know, I, yeah, I picked my local library, and uh, so yeah, they're they're excited because you know it's it's some D and D stuff, and they've got some, when the pandemic's over <laughs> and, <laughs> and they can get more stuff going on in the libraries themselves. A lot of the stuff is going to be great for um, the programs they have going on because mm-hmm. uh, they have like D and D night and stuff like that. Um, yeah at the library where like they got like librarians actually running D, which is pretty cool yeah i work at a library and i'm hoping to do that once pandemic ends at ours nice <laughs> um yeah so the, when you were writing the the adventure itself mm-hmm. um it, it's been interesting hearing you i had some idea you know going off of what i what i was reading but then talking to you i can tell that i'm not sure if it was intentional or unintentional some of the stuff that you've you know written about um definitely kind of felt like it leaked into in the adventure itself i don't know if that was an intentional thing by you or whether oh yeah absolutely that's absolutely okay yeah oh yeah that, that, that was, that was <laughs> i mean just an a, unconscious event that was yeah 
That was that was very intentional. It um, it it definitely felt like a. It felt kind of like a throwback, like it felt kind of like one of those old, um, quote unquote exotic Dungeons and Dragons adventures, except with that new, with that more modern and more you know, you know, less mm-hmm. questionable sort of slant. Yeah. And that that was very much my goal because I've I've found like over, over the years like running games and running adventures and stuff like that, especially for one shot adventures. Um, sometimes just keeping it simple is the best way to go forwards. Um, and like Candlekeep is designed like it's a bunch of they're not all necessarily one shot like one session adventures, but they're all they're not campaigns. Like it's like yep, there's going to be a few sessions. And then we move on. There are neat side quests or uh, or extra things to tag into your existing campaigns and stuff like that. And so I was like, okay, like I, you know, what makes up a good adventure? Like, well, you gotta go somewhere, you gotta do something, and it has to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that I've always enjoyed about the Forgotten Realms is uh, how deep the history of the uh, location is. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's always bothered me is how seldom that deep history gets used. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, this is a great opportunity. I can mix all these things together and mm-hmm. see where it goes. And uh, yeah, the Book of Cylinders is uh, is what ended up uh, coming out. Yeah, there's definitely a... There's a few adventures in, in Candlekeep. Um, I know Jen Kretschmer's adventure also does a similar sort of dive into a one of the forgotten parts of the forgotten realms um, with, with, with yours. I mean, the, the thing that really struck me was the way that the, um, that question of, of, of colonialism in Indian D I definitely got a sense that this is sort of a, it's dealing with a little bit of that, with the way the Yuan T and are the way they are approaching the, 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 the village um, and sort of exploiting it and the, the, with the refugees and stuff, it kind of had a lot of that, a lot of, a lot of subtext there, I think is, is interesting. Cause you don't see quite as, you know, you really don't see quite as much. Some people don't really consciously feel, um, sometimes it doesn't feel quite as conscious as, as that did. And I don't know if that, it sounds like that was definitely intentional as well. Yeah. One of the things that I do in a lot in my own games is I always try to look at the larger picture and what the knock-on effects of the actual adventure happening would be. Um, because I, I find that a lot of adventures and a lot of games tend to keep a very like narrow view on what's happening. It's very focused on the adventure, and it doesn't really look at what happens after it. It's not looking at uh, what disruptions are occurring during it. Um, it just sort of like hand waves all that in, in its effort to move uh, the characters from point A to point B. But when I look at it, I'm like, well, no, like this is part of their movement from point A to point B. It's uh, it builds tension. It, uh, it lets them you know, learn about the world. It lets them get that deeper feel for what's going on. Um, and it, in my experience, at least it helps a lot with player buy-in because then it's, uh, they're less involved just because, okay, guys, you know, it's, Thursday night, um, we're going to play from seven till 10, uh, tonight's adventure is blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, I find if you put in these extra details, if you have these extra interactions, um, that players get into it 
Um, and, you know, sometimes it works out the way you want it to. Other times they'll get into it and like get attached to something you hadn't planned on them getting into it attached to. And you find yourself having to scramble a little bit to uh, <laughs> to deal with that situation, but um, that, 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 that's just running a game. Um, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, so I, I looked at it. I was like, "Hey, well, what would happen if the UNT came here?" You know, nobody nobody likes to stick around when there's problems. They all like, like uh, people leave dangerous situations. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, when I have all these little villagers, they're going to leave and they're going to set up here. And this will be a good um, like exposition point uh, for the players if they choose that route to get there to um, to find out what's going on and have a better clue about what's happening. Um, and so I, you know, I, I used it as a stepping stone um, in the adventure, and also as a way to sort of make the world more alive and more um, not real realistic isn't the right word, but more uh, immersive in a way that sort of makes people think a little bit. The, I loved the re, sort of the return of, of, of the Gripply. Um, I love frog people. Um, so um, I'm sure people were going to be trying to get playable Gripply going pretty soon after they read this. Um, yeah. That, that was <laughs> one of the, one of the things I said after writing the, after uh, I found out that it had been accepted was that depending on what, because I, like I said, I don't have the copy of it, so I don't actually know what's in it um, or what they, uh, <laughs> what they finally included. And so there's some stuff on the cutting room floor that if it's not there, um, will likely be um, my first and only uh, submission <laughs> into the DM skill. <laughs> um, so that people can, you know, play frog people because that's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. How did you... So the the yuan T are, I think they're one of the ones that uh, they get pointed to a lot when it comes to talking about Orient Orientalism in, in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, yeah, I mean, just the name already is you know, and then the fact that they're all evil snake people and the, um, but you <laughs> <laughs> and they're very heavily, uh heavily based on extremely you know all the men have the big Fu Manchu mustaches and the ladies are all like questionable sexy snake ladies and um you know but you, it looks like it, it's it's you definitely did want to implement what you should what you meant earlier with that question of making the monsters not all monsters you know there are good and bad one in in this adventure yeah and that's something like i well, one of the benefits to like, writing my blog and doing a bunch of those stuff that I've been doing was um, I uh, ended up doing, because Forgotten Realms is the current uh, main setting, I did some ridiculously deep dives into uh, like the lore of uh, things in the game. Yeah. And just kept on finding all these cool little bits and pieces. Um, and I was like, yeah, like these, like if, if you implement these, the world gets so much cooler. And so, yeah, I went back to, like, I, I'm really hoping they named it before the Tom Cruise movie, um, but um, like the Days of Thunder um, <laughs> <laughs> were, uh, <laughs> it was a really cool period in the Forgotten Realms. And there was so much cool stuff going on um, in terms of like, like there was 
the Yuan T, which were uh, like all the snake peoples. Um, there were lizard folk. There were uh, the bat Ratchi, which were like all these like frog people and frog folks and stuff like that. They all like dominated the world. Like, There's like, it was a completely different um, like ecosystem in terms of almost everything. Um, and then sort of the, they, to rush it up, to get it to, uh, you know, sort of like standard Western fantasy, they sort of like, Hey, this happened, this happened, this happened hand wave giants. Yeah. Okay. We're good. Um, and I was like, yeah, but there's, there's all these little bits and pieces. So I was like, okay, well, you know, no group ever goes completely evil 100%. And you know, like, uh, what if the, this group had something else going on? What if, um, you know, I present these monsters as heroes cause they were heroes back in the day. Like they were going out and having adventures fighting weird, whatever weird monsters they had back then. Um, like I actually don't know what they would have been fighting, but I imagine it would have been pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and yeah, um, I just sort of built it, built it up from there. Um, with the idea being that you can like, even in a little one-shot adventure, you can present, or not a one-shot, but you know what I mean. Um, even in a short adventure, you can change some things about the, about a world and present some more options uh, to open it up. And with the option to play a pureblood Yuan T coming out in what was that book? Uh, Bull's Guide to the uh, Guide to Monsters. Yeah, uh, I was like, yeah, like this is another opportunity. You know, maybe make that a thing. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I it, that's definitely I it, it'd be this would be a very interesting adventure if one of the PCs was playing a a Yuan T pure boy. Oh yeah, that that would add a whole <laughs> other dimension to it. That would be really cool. Yeah, uh-huh. I think it. How did how did you go about now handling the the grip the the Gripply? And I think this is something that is part of that. How do you handle some of the aspects of D anD D that kind of preexist? Is this handling of the way civilizations are set up, the way cultures are set up in D and D where there's the different levels of quote unquote civilization mm-hmm. um, w- w- with the Gripply uh, having this because they're, they're not they're in, they're intelligent, you know, they're just as intelligent as mm-hmm. everybody else. Um, and they're running a training post, you know, they're, but there's, they sort of have like a lot of, a lot of beast races um, mm-hmm. in Dungeons and Dragons, they have this kind of, I hate the term, but sort of primitive sort of feeling and aesthetic to them. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering how you, how you write, how you handle a, a race like that. And there's other races that like, I mean, orcs are probably the most famous mm-hmm. quote unquote primitive beast race, but um, a lot of them, them, the, the, uh, lizard folk, you know, they've all got aspects. It's really tend to dump a lot of the really bad, <laughs> really mm-hmm. bad stereotypes around to the uh, the, mo- the the lizard monster races. But mm-hmm. how do you how do you write them, or how did you go about sort of handling them in here without touching on those, w- fixing some of those things that are well, there? I, so, um, some parts of it, I looked at. Um, I looked. At te- I looked at technology, and I looked at what I wanted them to be doing. Um, and so I was like, okay, well. They're probably, um, they're around water and salt water a lot. So iron and steel are probably great for weapons, but a lot of their other stuff is probably going to be made out of bronze or copper or something like that, because they're going to want things that don't rust. Um, they're hunting, um, you know, like all these giant crabs and other things. 
um, that would result in having a lot of shells around and, you know, monster shell, like one of the finest traditions in D and D is turning random monster chunks into buildings and or uh, armor. Yeah. And so, you know, how might they go about doing this? Uh, how would they live? Um, how would they be reproducing? How would they, how would all of these different aspects be happening? And then how do I present this in such a way that they are a functional component of the larger world around them? Mm-hmm. Because uh, one of the things like one of the things in D and D and in a lot of other, not just D a lot of other fantasy games too, is that worlds aren't integrated. Everything is islands. Um, like there's the dwarf kingdom that has nothing to do with any of the kingdoms around it, except for, you know, the one trade caravan every year. Yeah. Um, you know, and you have like, uh, you know, a village of, you know, bear people or something like that, that has nothing to do with the human village. That's one K down the road or something like that. And it doesn't make any sense to me, um, because people's like, no people in the world are an Island. Everybody interacts with other people. And so I was like, okay, well, what would they be doing? I'm like, well, candle keep has a huge population, um, that is probably hungry. And giant crabs probably provide a huge amount of meat. So why would they not have a little industry based off of that? Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, if they're doing that, then what else are they doing? And it becomes a, uh, a, so what situation. So like, so they're hunting giant crabs. So what? So they have to do something with the shells. So what? So they can either wear them, build with them. Uh, or like grind them up fertilizer, they just have to be used. Well, so what? So that means they have uh, techniques for maintaining things. Um, what's it? Uh, weatherproofing, developing stuff so that it lasts. So what? So their buildings are going to look really cool because they're going to have, you know, parts of carapaces, if not like entire carapaces for like truly epic crabs they've caught. And the whole thing was done with the approach that they're a rational thinking people capable of making decisions uh that benefit them um and that they aren't automatically uh going to be um making bad decisions or poor decisions just because you know oh they're beast folk they can't think good so they're just gonna be covered in stream beads or something like that yeah so that 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 was the approach that i took to it to try to make it a bit more sensical Um, yeah and I, I love the the crab. I love the crab maze. Um, there's a the you know you said you haven't seen it. The art the the art for the crab maze is really 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 cool. Um, nice. They included. Um, yes. Yeah. It's 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 very very you know that it's it's very atmospheric and but there's also little crabs in the water kind of peeking out. Not little crabs, but you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I was actually legit worried about that part. Like, cause I was like, yeah, they're going to be play testing this. I'm like, cool. Then I started thinking, I'm like, man, what if they start really messing up on the rules? That could be a really rough part of the game. <laughs> that was my like, that thought. Is- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was reading through it as a DM and I was like, like okay, get, this like, looks fun. Boss. <laughs> like, oh, they can't get to the adventure. Yeah, yet like, man, like the end boss crashed. might be the easy part of this. adventure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's always <laughs> yeah. The end boss is always you don't want to out crab the end boss, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
I, I and I, I can also tell, uh, you know, and that was part of the that the crab maze and it, you know, thinking about your your background, which we hadn't really touched on in in in, in diving, and I believe you've worked in you've done diving and you've worked in mm-hmm. some some archaeology, I believe with yep. Um, and that also seems to kind of come. I don't know if that if that informs much of your writing in general, but I definitely I think I could see some of that in in this as well. Nice. Um, yeah, it, um, yeah, I, I do have a background in archaeology, um, and uh, not quite as advanced as some of the other people involved in this uh, in this project. Um, what's it? Uh, Daniel Kwan is like head and shoulders above me uh, for like He's got a lot of. If you ever have a chance to talk to him, do it. He's got some really cool archaeology stories and is doing a lot of really cool stuff. Um, but uh, like my, my experience is actually wet site archaeology. Um, so I, I haven't actually worked on a site that's dry. Everywhere that I've worked has involved having to pump water out of the uh, out of the site. Oh, boy. <laughs> in order to get down to whatever you're doing. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, like archaeology did influence it, especially for like the the overall narrative of it. And the um, like even just like the Book of Cylinders itself, um, that idea came from, um, I think it was uh, like Sumerian. Um, civilization and because i looked at it, i was like man like what's an easy way to hold to hold information and i looked up these little like message scrolls or message cylinders they had where like you'd roll it out along uh along a surface to see what it said and i thought that was really cool and it made sense to me to be a a, a good way to keep information alive for a long time um so like that came out and yeah for the diving thing um that actually did have does have a diving background uh, when i was doing a scientific diving course years ago uh, we were doing a survey of uh, red rock crabs and the area that we were assigned to, um, I can only describe it as the crab apocalypse. <laughs> uh, we, we didn't know, but it was breeding season. And oh, so wow. we dropped in to do our dives and it was just crab wreckage across the sea, <laughs> across the seafloor. Um, like we saw one little crab. He was still in the fight. He had one claw and he had two legs on one side and one leg on the other side. <laughs> And he was still fighting. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that the the, uh, the crab maze did have um, <laughs> did does have some real world uh, inspiration going on uh, <laughs> going into it. Yeah, that is that's yeah that's very cool, and um, I definitely think that you know i'm reading through reading through all of them i haven't quite finished them yet because i just got it and you know there's a lot and um but it's it's definitely a really really interesting adventure and it opens up a lot of possibilities i think obviously that's i think it's a design goal for most of the one shots when um when dnd publishes them um especially with these because it's kind of the first one they're all they're all disconnected you know Mm -hmm. salt marsh had everything was vaguely related to each other but in this one everything's so disparate um, the, the, but it definitely opens up, you know, whether it's digging further into the temple or, um, getting to explore, getting to explore Chult, um, you know, g- mm-hmm. getting a, a way to go explore that. It definitely opens up a lot of stuff there, which is, which is really fun for, I think for a lot of DMs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, 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 that was my goal with it was, um, I, I wanted to have an adventure that opened doors. Like at the end, like at the end of it, it, there's a couple of different ways it can end. Um, a couple of things can happen, uh, as as you know, I haven't read it. Um, 
which could change how your characters are perceived or interact with things um, as, as you explore the larger world. And uh, yeah, um, that, that was definitely a gold mine uh, was to have something where people finish the adventure like, wow, like I want to find out more about this or hey, like let's go here and then something new can happen uh, because of you know their participation in this adventure. Yeah. Last thing I want to ask um, before, um, last thing I want to ask before we get go, get done is um, transition a little bit out of D and D just because I'm curious when it comes mm-hmm. because you play so many different games and yep. as you know and you you know you're open about that fact obviously um, and I'm wondering if if someone is is concerned about and and this could be either because someone's concerned about the same concerns that you have with D and D. Or if there's just games that you like, you know, are, are there other games that you really, that you really like that you play a lot or that you really recommend, you know, whether they're just ones you like or whether they're games that approach some things better than D&D? Um, oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I know it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, I mean, yeah, the, the, um, the, some of those problems with D&D, unfortunately, because of the influence of it, I've kind of infiltrated other games so that's kind of hard to overcome but so it could just be if you have if you have favorites you like to play other than D D, then that's that's fine um <laughs> I, i've quite enjoyed fantasy age um mm-hmm. by green ronin um it's really cool i've actually it's like I'm, I'm looking up at it on my bookshelf right now um it, it was a lot of fun um it's uh I, I would describe it as being sort of a bridging game yeah where if you're familiar with the but you want to try something different with a little bit more uh creative freedom on a few more options. Um, it's a great game to, to move into where you're not going to be like dropped, like have a lot of uh, system shock uh, from, you know, systems change and concept changes. Uh, another game that I quite liked about a lot was uh, open legends and open legend is a, uh, um, it's a generic game. It's actually one of the ones I'm going to be reviewing this year as part of my year of the generic RPG. Um, and I've worked in it before and played in it before. And it was, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's got a lot of neat stuff going on. And in terms of generic games, um, it doesn't, it's not hard to uh, wrap your head around what's going on. Um, it, it's very approachable, which is something that I liked about it. And so like just off the top of my head, those, those are two games that, uh, that I've quite enjoyed. Um, if you're, if people are looking for something uh, that's not D and D or that gives them a few more options in life. Yeah. I definitely, I've, I've, I'll have to check out that second one. And I do love the, the age system uh, from Green mm-hmm. Ronin, the different ones they've got. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm, always, I'm curious what I normally ask what other stuff you're working on, but that's one thing I'm, you mentioned there. And I'm wondering what, so the year of the generic RPG, what's that? What is, what is that? You know, what's, where's that coming from? Or, um, well, I decided this year, um, I wanted to sort of have some themed, um, content on my site. And one of the things that I've noticed is that, um, generic RPGs, like game, like game systems designed to be used with multiple genres, don't get as much love or attention, um, as I think they really deserve. Cause I've had some really amazing experiences with them in the past. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, I've, I've had some last year, I had some great support um from uh from my fans and readers and stuff like that that uh provided me with a small slush fund that i was able to afford to buy um a bunch of the core books for these games and so 
Uh, I've got some heavy reading this year. <laughs> I have like um, my, my Patreon supporters voted for uh, Savage Worlds to be the first one I reviewed. So I've just finished reading that. <laughs> and um, I'm in the process of writing the stuff up for it. And then after that, I believe it's uh, Open Legend. Then I'm going to do Cortex. Um, okay. But the idea is that I, I want to highlight these games. I want to be like, hey, like, check these games out. Um, they're they you can approach multiple different different genres with them. Here are their strengths. Here are places where they don't do as well. Um, and try to like get. I, just, I want to put more tools into people's toolboxes. Yeah, is what I want to do. Um, like I, I love seeing players and I love seeing GMs and DMs. Um, coming at things with like a hockey bag full of <laughs> ideas, concepts and stuff like that, because it, it only ever makes games better. Um, and so that, that, that that's what I want to do with that. And then uh, more on, on the personal side of things, I'm uh, I'm, yeah, I'm writing Sojourner right now. Um, I'm planning a few updates for the games that I've got on, uh, on my itch site. Um, so that's going to be fun. And then, yeah, the rest of the year is probably just going to be, yeah, that, that um, unless, oh, sorry. And uh, I'm writing for Blue Planet Oh, uh, this year. Okay. Very excited about that. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, science fiction, alien world, underwater stuff. Uh, it, it's got it all going on. Um and uh, yeah, I'm I'm working with uh, Jeff Barber, who's no relation. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's uh, he's he's the lead on it, um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be coming out through uh, Gallant uh, Gallant Night Games, uh, who okay. made uh, the, like, the Tiny Dungeon and uh, Tiny Sci-Fi and Tiny Tiny Supers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, they've got a lot of cool games. Uh, they're going to be the the group publishing it, and so yeah, I think the Kickstarter for that's in like a couple of couple of weeks okay yeah like, i think yeah i think it's like uh, yeah i think it was like march 12th or march 16th uh that's supposed to kick off um and so yeah i'm, I'm really excited to be writing for that because it was you know that game that got away yeah like you know like you saw it back in the day and you're like oh that looks really cool but for whatever reason you couldn't afford it um that was blue planet for me um like it had everything that i loved in games uh but at the time i was just incredibly broke <laughs> and the yep. internet sucked because it was like the early thousands. Yeah. Um, so there's no options for it. And so I was just sort of like reconciled myself to being like, yeah, like that was a game. I really wish I could have, could have read done stuff with. And now an opportunity came up to write for it. And I was like, yes, I will do this. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely excited for that. I hadn't, uh, I've, I've heard a little bit about it, but you know, it definitely, I'll be excited to see that release now mm. and we'll definitely we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Um so if if we want to keep track of, of of your work and follow you, where can we where can we find find you online? Um I am most active on Twitter as uh POC Gamer. Uh I do have a Facebook page. Um it gets regular posts. Um I'm not on it a lot, but posts do go up. Um I'm on Instagram and I've been swearing for the last year that I'll use it more and I'll continue to swear that I will use it more and try to do so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, pretty much if you look up POC gamer, um, you can't go wrong. It'll take you either to the blog, Twitter, um, pardon me, Facebook. Um, yeah. Um, come follow me. 
come for the content, stay for the rants. And uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm uh, I'm I'm really looking. For, I'm 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 going to be checking the mail after this uh, to see if there's a postage slip in there saying that uh, my copy's here because I really want it. Now I'm even more excited now for this Candlekeep thing because you've described some of the art and I was like, "There's art! Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> I need to see this now." Um, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go check the mail and see if that's. Uh, <laughs> That's waiting for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very cool. And uh, we'll definitely, I'll definitely put links uh, in the, in the, in the description. So people can, can go find you and find your, find your work and stuff pretty easily. Um, cool. Thank you. So yeah. Um, reminder, Candle Keep Mysteries featuring the book of cylinders comes out on March 16th. You can pre-order it on DMs Guild, Amazon, everywhere else uh and of course support your friendly local game store where they have a extremely uh extremely pretty alternate cover um the the red have you seen it the gold embossed red yeah, I, I, some gorgeous. Picture of the internet. it looks beautiful yeah it is it is absolutely gorgeous they keep making every year i swear every time i go this is the prettiest one yet and then they make a new one that's the prettiest one yet um yeah that everyone <laughs> one floored me um like the alternate cover for that one i was yeah. like wow like that well and then i saw the candle keep one i was like oh like <laughs> yeah. who, who are they hiring to make these and yeah. like yeah. this is amazing um so yeah definitely go go pick that up and also you know support support graham on his with his with his work and check out his year of the generic games and uh thank you for thank you for coming on talking about talking about your work and talking about everything graham yeah, uh, thank you for having me on. It's been great talking with you. And uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to talk again in the future. Yeah, hopefully. Thanks again for listening to All Bark No Dice, the Fundamentals Tabletop Podcast, a part of the Fundamentals Podcast Network. We are fueled this week, as always, by Found Familiar Coffee Co. Go to Found Familiar Coffee and use the code to aim fandom to get 10% off of your entire order. Happy playing.